had a victory this morning. Would you like to hear about it? It, it got below 32 degrees in some areas. And the things that I suffer with, my allergies, particularly demon ragweed, I, I jogged by a ragweed plant this morning, and I said, die. <laughs> so, so, so I'm feeling... Uh, feeling pretty good. First service, they thought I was drinking coffee again. I haven't had any coffee since March. And uh, yeah, it's had, I still love it. I'm still tempted like crazy, but it's been a good transition. But anyway, you know, I, now, now that we got maybe a, a little bit of freeze, let it go back to the 70s. So I'm not one of those that loves the cold weather, but, um, but uh, we're glad for that little victory. Hey, this morning you have some uh, sermon notes, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 5 through 13 this morning. So if you want to find your Bible and, and open up to John chapter 1, 5 through 13, you're going to be in a good place uh, to follow along this morning. Uh, before we get to the teaching, I just want to uh, recommend a book. It's in, your, it's in your study notes. It's called Growing Up Christian, and uh, it's a book that uh, back... In 2005, uh, we used this for a family devotional, and it's it's targeted towards um, towards teenagers, young and old teenagers, and also uh, college students. But I reread it this week, and, and I have to tell you, I'm just totally convicted, because it, it really, in a very uh, direct way, easy to read, super easy to read, with uh, discussion questions at the end, is a really uh, good format for a home uh, Bible study with your kiddos, uh, but it really speaks to the heart. It tells you like how to use your life for God's glory, and it addresses how do you think biblically, get this, how do you think biblically, and how do you practically live biblically? And I was reading some of the sections, and I said, oh, Lord, <laughs> I need to get back, I need to get back uh, you know, really seeking you with all of my heart. So I really want to recommend it um, for small group Bible studies, uh, home studies, but also if you've, been, uh, if you've been walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, it really is a great uh, refresher. And so we have a few copies of it. Uh, Jennifer has them. So if you'd like to thumb through it and, and see if it would be a help to you, you can obviously get it at Christian Book Distributors. Uh, used to name that CBD, but it brought them a lot of interesting traffic. Um, but you can get it on Amazon. It's like 15 bucks for a nice new book. You can get it on Kindle for, I think it's $7.99. And you can get used ones as low as 5 or $6. So, so uh, you know, if you're on a budget, get the used one. It's the same material. You'll have some mock-ups. But anyway, are you growing up Christian? Uh, and it's in your study notes uh, for this morning. And so let's pray together, and then we'll get right with it. Father, we thank you for uh, uh, this time of year, and Lord, help us to uh, embrace it and to enjoy it. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, and Lord, that you'd encourage us uh, in the things of the Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we began our study in the Gospel of John, and thematically, one of the key things in that first little section of the prologue, the prologue goes from verse 1 to verse 18, and we've uh, looking at the prologue in three sections. We looked at verses 1 through 4 last week, and 
And John really focused in on the logos, uh, using the word logos, and it's really a remarkable word uh, that John uh, used because the, he was able to take that word and use it as a bridge into uh, the Greek mindset, the Hebrew mindset, and also the Christian mindset. And it also connects us with Genesis chapter 1 and the beginning of all things uh, in the first chapter of Genesis. And so when John used the word logos, he connected to the Greeks. The Greeks were thinking, wow, we, we, we know that word logos. That's the thing behind all things that keeps everything running. And it's, it's that rational aspect of, of uh, creation. And, and John had much more to say about the logos than the Greeks expected, but he connected with them. And then he connected to the Hebrews by using the word logos because they understood Genesis 1. They understood that by all things, God is the creator and he is the sustainer of all things. And he's going to do that again in verse 5. And then he connected with the Christians, understanding the logos became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of the incarnation of Christ and that aspect of the logos that, that he became flesh and in, uh, dwelt among us and he and as we know, in Christ's ministry, he gave himself as an atoning sacrifice to ransom us back. And so that concept helped John bridge the gap. And we want to try to do that not only through uh, reading, the uh, reading the text, not only doing good exegesis of the text, uh, say, uh, what is the text saying, but also doing good exegesis towards culture. Understand, how does that fit in the midst of our culture? And so let's take a look at verse 5, and we'll begin our study. It says there, uh, verse, uh, verse 4, In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. Here we are, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so once again, John is connecting us to, uh, to the beginnings, which is the word for Genesis. He's connecting us and understanding the, the, the power of when God speaks, it happens ex nihilo. And, so, and when we look at Genesis, it says darkness was over the face of the earth. And then in verse 3, it says God spoke, let there be what? Let there be light. And so the power of the creation, power of creation, rests in God and, and his word. And so John reestablishes that with us. And he says, God who calls light into being and his light, his truth, shines through his what? Through the logos, through the word. And John goes on to say, uses a particular, he uses a particular word choice here. He says, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this word for overcome is catalambano, and it has, a, it has a really cool meaning, if you ask me. It says to lay hold of, to seize with force, to take possession. And so what John is establishing at the very beginning of his gospel is that the darkness or evil cannot get hold of the light or the goodness. The devil can't get hold of Jesus. The darkness or evil can't overcome the light, can't take possession of it. 
it cannot apprehend it. And we can look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, that light and darkness are mutually exclusive. And so John is really appealing not only to the Greek mindset, but the Hebrew mindset and all of its design to point to the incarnation of Christ, that the very Godhead, God himself, God the Father loved us, and so he sent his Son and redeems us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God. Now, it was like 4 o'clock this morning, and I don't know how these things happen, but if you've ever woken up at 4 o'clock in the morning, it happens to me, and I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning, and all as I could think about, John was sent. John was sent from God. And it's not, in, it's, I don't think it's in my notes too much, but it's, it's God sent him. And why is that so important? Because God chose to use ordinary means. He chose to use a man, just like he chose to use you and me and our sphere of influence. So God sent a man. And then, you know, it just got beyond me. So then I started thinking of alliteration and John's ministry and how he was promised from Isaiah 40, verse 3, and how he was promised in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, is that God promised to send this man, promised to send him. And then it's like, oh, he came with a purpose and a prayer he came in with a purpose in completion of prayer. And I thought of Luke chapter 1 and, and uh, Zacharias and, and Elizabeth and these two old geezers and they're praying for a son. And God comes in and he answers that prayer with this man. And not only that, they were probably going to name him after dad. He's going to be, you know, Zacharias the third or the fourth or the 15th, given the Old Testament lineage. And the, the angel Gabriel comes. And so in the midst of the ordinary, God does something extraordinary. In the midst of the ordinary, he does something extraordinary. And he said, you're going to name this boy John, which means what? Jehovah is a gracious giver. See, God had a purpose and a plan for John's life. I mean, I, I think maybe I should have talked about this this morning, but, but, John, but God intervened in the midst of the ordinary, in the midst of an older couple, a holy couple, crying out to God, God, give me a son. God says, I'm going to do that because I've got a purpose and I've got a plan and, I'm, and I've got a name for this boy. He's going to be Jehovah, God the gracious giver. And his dad, his dad is just like you and I. I can't believe it. Can't be so. <laughs> and, and the Lord said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that tongue and just, that's it. You're done. You're dumb. You're dumb and dumber, but you're going to be quiet. And what happened is God was true to his word, brought forth that boy, and he scribbles on the paper, we're going to call him John. <laughs> Smart man there. And God unlocked his tongue again. There's so many parallels between a Christian's life and, and John's life because we've all been born for a purpose. We've all been brought into the world to 
represent Christ. And John had a purpose, and he had a plan, and he had a passion, and his passion was to lift Jesus Christ up, and he had a powerful testimony in the face of death. And so John, the man, God could have sent an angel, right? He's done that already. Sent an angel to Mary, right? Sent an angel to Elizabeth. He could have just sent an angel to the world and said, this is my son, but God chose to use an ordinary man to do extraordinary things. You know, I'm still believing that for my life. God can take an ordinary an ordinary guy and do extraordinary things. Are you believing that for your life? Are you believing that just as an ordinary person, you can make an, an exceptional and an extraordinary difference in your world? I think John calls us to that. He calls us to that place to believe God. And now we see what John, John's purpose, what he was sent from God. Come back to the text with me. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, Jehovah, the giver of grace. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness from the light. You know, John came, if we could put this verse in a, in a, in a way that at least I can understand it, is that John came to awaken the need for a Savior in the hearts of the people. We get this, he came for light and witness and witness this, and he's not about the light, he is about the light. I mean, it's confusing a little bit to me. But John came to awaken the need for a Savior, the desperate need of the people to, to come away from just a ceremonial worship of God. He came to to prick their hearts that there is a repentance that was needed, a turning back to God. You know, that's what we need to do in the lives of our children. Is we need to, we need to be putting in their heart. We, we need to be drawing out their need for a Savior of Jesus Christ. That when we come even to our grandchildren, you know, I got Lucas. Lucas calls me the Bible man. You know, the, a question will come up, and he goes, oh, we got to get Pa, because Pa's the Bible man. And when, when Lucas does that, I say, Lucas, you, you, can, be the, you can be the Bible man. You, you, can, you can preach God's word. In first service, I made a mistake. First service, I said, yeah, I'm, 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 and it was in the context of Lucas. I said, yeah, I'm looking to replace myself in a year or two or three. You could see people like, oh, what's going on? Is this something we don't know about? But you gotta, everything has its context. And I was talking about Lucas. Lucas is eight, going to be nine in January, right? He's given me a good 10 years. <laughs> but you know, we are, that, we are that type of person for the people that are. We are that John the Baptist type of person in the people, in the people in our world. We're, we're there. To, to draw out their need for Christ. We're there to draw out their need for a Savior. We're there to draw out their fallenness. We're there to draw out their hunger and thirst to have a right relationship with God. And John did that. John's attitude was he, Jesus, must 
increase. And, and John was saying, Jesus must increase, and John must what? Decrease. Isn't that, isn't that our ministry to the people that we love? That we must serve them so that they can flourish. We must serve our children so they will prosper. That they would increase. Rather than letting our world be all about us, we find, we find true purpose. We find true passion. We find the promises of God when we take a heart of let me serve you and let me see you flourish. And how can I do that? That is the ministry of John the Baptist. Come on with the text with me. We look at verses 9 through 11. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And what John does is he brings us all the way back again to, to creation. Brings us all the way back to Genesis and really talks about, for the first time, begins to point us towards the incarnation of Christ and begins to point us to the first manifestation of God's grace towards the human race. That technically is called general revelation. And God's first dispensing of grace, the psalmist says, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. Look at Romans chapter 1. That all creation gives witness to, to God's majesty and his power and his might. But general revelation or God's creation, his first dispensing of grace, doesn't tell you about like penal substitutionary atonement. And that's where the word of God and the messengers of God come in in special revelation in the word of God and explaining the way of salvation. And John came to do that. He came as the dispenser of God's grace to the people of his day. Look at verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, I like John's focus. John doesn't just camp out in the negative. He has purpose. And his purpose is to engage and encourage God's people. John's focus is not on those who reject Jesus, but those who experience the new birth. Take a look at verses 12 to 13 with me. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's four key things that we can say about these verses here, about the new birth. The first one, it is, it is not from blood or natural inheritance. It's not passed down because you grew up in a Christian family. And I wish it were so in some ways. I, I, wish, I, could give, I wish I could give my grandbabies. I wish I could give them eternal life. But that's not, how it, that's not how it works. That's not what gives glory to God if we could just pass it down. No, God says... And we're going to look at a man uh, that's going to come along in the narrative. We're going to look at a man by Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus that you must be what? And Nicodemus is like clueless. Like, do I go back into the womb and come out? Or what's the deal? 
It's all of God. All of grace. You know, when I look up raising up my kids, raising up Becky and Tim, I, I had a pivot point in, in my role as a parent. It, some of it came out of this book I'm recommending. And, and I was proud of my kids, still proud of them. But when, I, when they were like 10, 11, 12 years old, I was like, oh, man, I'm, you are awesome. That was an awesome goal. That was an awesome academic achievement. That was awesome that you aced AP. That was awesome how you made that team. And I just was stunned when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you pointing them to me? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm just encouraging them that they're good and they're awesome. And God, wasn't that a great goal? And the pivot point was this. It's all of grace. You know that goal you scored and the speed you have and the skill you have? God gave you that. You know the intelligence that you have, where you got it from, I don't know. But God gave you that. You know, I used to tease my son Timothy. I said, Timothy, you're almost six feet tall. I'm five, six, stretching. I said, why couldn't God, why couldn't God divide the difference? You know, give me two inches. You keep two. We're even. But what God did give you is by His grace. The skill you have, the intelligence you have, the favor that you have is all about the grace of God working in your life. And that what it did is it pivoted. Were they still encouraged? Sure. Were they still affirmed by their dad? Sure. But they recognized this simple point. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. All of life, the things we have as believers, the things we, our children have, are not organic to them. It's about what God has done through his grace in their life. And when you pivot towards the grace of God, what you do is you, you still affirm them, you still build them up, but you begin to shift their heart, shift their focus, that it isn't about them. It's about what God wants to do in their heart and what God wants to do through them to touch the world around them. That was the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist shifted the people from a ceremonial view of God from as, it, as they, Jesus talks about in John chapter 5, that you search the scriptures for life, and I'm standing right in front of you, and you don't see me. Our children are like that too, if we don't focus on grace. Because we can make them into good little church people. Good little Bible memorizers, but they haven't experienced eternal life. They haven't turned their heart of sin to God and asked for God's forgiveness and become born again. John tells us it's not by blood or natural inheritance. It's not something that can be passed down. Matter of fact, being born again is not the will of the flesh. You can't make yourself into a Christian. You ever try to do that? I tried to do that for 
I don't know, 21, 22 years. Ah! I'll try to be good. Ah! See, and you can't even blame it on coffee. Look at me. You can blame it on a freeze. I'll tell you that. Victory. I made an attempt to go back to 70. You can't will it. New Year's Day. I'll never drink that much again. Oh! A week later, party time. You can't will it. You have to have a whole new creation. God needs to do a whole new work in your life and your heart. He needs to make you a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The change is from the inside out, not from the outside. It's from a work of the Spirit, not by the will of man. That's the message, John the Baptist. Nor by the will of man. It's not the idea of men. Hey, I got a good way to make cool nonprofits. You know, we'll make these churches and we'll make people feel good, you know, by repenting. It's not by the will of man, nor is it by special little prayers that priests or ministers pray. It's not even like a little sprinkle of holy water. A little sprinkle. A little special prayer. That doesn't save you at all. That just makes you comfortable to stay in an unregenerated state, trusting in your own works rather than the grace of God to save. What are we doing with our children? How are we teaching our children? Are we teaching them that they're great and all goodness rests within them? <laughs> that, oh, you're so brilliant. All this we're making is self-centered, narcissistic children rather than what you got is awesome by the grace of God. The goal you scored was brilliant by the grace of God. The height and speed that you have is amazing. I wish I had it. You've got too much of the grace of God in your life. It affirms them, but it points their heart towards the giver of every good gift and the only one that can save. Because finally, the new birth is this. It's all God. It's all grace. He gives the power to receive. Gives the power to sustain. Gives the power to walk a victorious Christian life in the midst of difficulty. He gave John the power of a testimony in the face of death. The power of grace. I live my life by grace. At first, services, at first service, I said, I'm married by grace. And Nancy goes, yeah. And I stay married by grace. <laughs> Amen? My encouragement to you is have that, have that heart of John the Baptist. It says, he must increase. I must decrease. Amen? I'm going to have Caleb come and close us this morning. Thanks for coming, if you'd stand.